T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Erica Franklin Fowler. She is co-director of the Wesleyan Media Project at Wesleyan University in Middletown and she is a professor of government at Wesleyan. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, give us an overview of what you at the Media Project are tracking in the run-up to Election Day. Sure. The Wesley Media Project tracks political advertising across multiple platforms in real time during elections and releases that information to the public. Now, what sort of trends have been emerging with less than a month to go before people head to the polls? I think one of the biggest is, you know, we've been tracking television for uh, a decade now, and we have data that goes back two decades Uh, Television advertising has never been more prominent in an election cycle. It really uh, is astonishing the number of ads that we're seeing this presidential cycle on television. Of course, it's also a year that we're going to see an increased share of the spending on digital advertising. And so I think the, the underlying trend that we're seeing here is more advertising everywhere. Is that use of television surprising given that it's a legacy media and the trend seems to have been toward more digital advertising? Yeah, I don't think it's surprising for the following reasons. Uh, You know, since we started in 2010 with this project, people have been predicting the demise of television. And certainly it is the case that we will, we are seeing and we will continue to see an increased proportion of spending going to digital advertising in particular. But television is still a, a a large way in which you reach a large segment of the American public. It also is sometimes a cheaper way or a more efficient way to reach uh, a wide variety of citizens that you might be interested in connecting with. It uh, it also, of course, is more expensive. And so, as you as you compare the two, it's not necessarily a fair comparison because more money will be spent on television because it is more expensive overall. So, television is kind of like the the sledgehammer compared to digital advertising, which you can really get down to scalpel level. Yes, exactly. It's still the case. Although, uh, you know, television advertising will be distributed more similarly to how digital advertising is distributed now, it's still the case on television that most of the targeting happens through geography rather than, you know, individual characteristics. So that limits what you can do in terms of the targeting of particular, you know, 
types of individuals. You can do some things with TART with uh, programming, you know, so if you're trying to reach women versus men, you might turn to particular programs over others, but it's definitely not the same level of control you might have if you uh, were to reach someone through digital platforms where you can be much more specific about the types and characteristics of the people that you want to reach. Are you seeing that the bulk of advertising is related to the presidential contest or is it down ticket races? It's some of both. Uh, Certainly the presidential race is always uh, large. And I think this year, 2020 was a record breaking year well before the general election got started in part because of the contributions of Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg. But even still, uh, we're seeing, you know, increases in 2020 advertising, uh, you know, this last month. And so certainly that the presidential race sucks up a lot of the oxygen on air uh, in terms of airtime that's available. But it's also the case that with the Senate uh, uh, control of the Senate under in play here, we're seeing a large amount of U.S. Senate advertising as well as U.S. House. So it's a lot of advertising everywhere. I know the the total will be running, but do you have any idea how much has been spent on advertising in this election cycle so far? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the the, uh, Center for Responsive Politics, which we partner with, has projected that this race will end up somewhere near $11 billion, I believe. So it's a lot of money to date, and uh, it's certainly not stopping anytime soon. Are there general themes that have emerged with advertising? Are you seeing issue ads or attack ads or all of the above? Yeah, so this cycle is interesting for lots of reasons, and we track a variety of different metrics to include tone, but also issues. And I think what has been interesting this cycle so far is uh, a, a disproportionate use of what I will call contrast ads. So we at the Wesley Media Project differentiate ads by tone uh, in the following way, that we look for ads that talk solely about a candidate. Those are what we would call promotional ads. Ads that talk solely about an opponent, except for the paid for by line. Those are what we would call pure attack. And then ads that mention both candidates in some fashion are what we call contrast ads. And although, uh, you know, advertising has been growing in negativity, so by that I would mean ads that include either some sort of mention of an opponent, so attack and contrast, certainly um, negativity has been growing over time. This is not necessarily a record-breaking year for negativity, but it is um, interesting that we're seeing a lot more of the, you know, negativity come through contrast rather than pure attack ads. As a political scientist, it, it's kind of interesting, I'm guessing, to you hear from voters that they don't like attack ads, but they are effective, and that's why candidates continue to use them. Yes, I think so. Citizens, as a general rule, get sick of political advertising, and, you know, I I don't feel that way, but I, uh, of course, this is my day job, so I enjoy looking at them. I think part of the, part of the issue is that, uh, you know, ads are, they call to mind partisan politics, and citizens uh, get tuned, turned off by, by uh, the constant sort of attack on additional citizens or additional candidates. I think one of the things that's really important, though, to to recognize from a political science perspective is that I'm not sure we would want a world where we only had positive advertising. And the, the reason is that if you think about what a classic promotional spot does, it often features a candidate with his or her family walking through a park and invariably there's a golden retriever or some sort of dog. 
And although I'm a huge dog lover, those ads don't necessarily give you any policy-based information on which you might want to be basing a vote. So what we do know is that advertising that includes some sort of contrast or mention of an opponent in some fashion is more likely to talk about substantive policy issues. And from a small d democratic perspective, if we want citizens to be paying attention to the issues that are at stake, I think we would prefer to have information on the airwaves that calls to attention uh, particular issues that at stake in a particular cycle. What advice do you have for the public, the consumers of these ads? How much should be taken at face value? Yeah, so that's also a really important and interesting question. And I think, of course, you need to keep in mind that political ads are uh, biased media. They're intentionally created to uh, give you one, one candidate or one campaign's perspective. So certainly keeping that in mind is important. I think the public actually does that pretty well. They actually are maybe more cynical about candidates and parties than might otherwise be healthy, especially if they're thinking about citizen uh, uh, candidates on the op- opposing side of the aisle. I think the the biggest area where I would encourage citizens to pay attention is actually with respect to outside group advertising, which uh, in the aggregate in past cycles have comprised roughly 30% of the ads on air. And if you dig into the competitive races, they're even more likely to be prominent and at higher percentages of involvement in those races. And the reason I, I, I would say that citizens should pay more attention to those is that we've we've also seen a rise of outside groups that have what I call mom and apple pie names. So they have, uh, you know, generic American, all American sounding names that don't necessarily give citizens clues as to what their ideological or issue-based perspective is. And citizens, we know from a variety sort of growing uh, literature research that uh, these unknown outside groups Uh, their advertising can be actually more effective than candidates and parties, in part because citizens give them more credibility than they give to candidates and parties, but also because they're they're more likely to be negative and they they shield candidates from the backlash that would occur if a candidate were to go negative themselves. How are the rules different for advertising for these outside groups versus candidates themselves? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of different rules aside from outside groups are not allowed to formally coordinate uh, with candidates or campaigns. There are lots of ways that outside groups can get around this sort of formal regulation, as you know, I would refer people back to Stephen Colbert's on the Colbert Report, you know, episodes uh, many, many years ago that sort of parody how outside groups can get around these sorts of restrictions. Um, the, the one other distinguishing factor is that at least on for broadcast media, uh, outside groups actually end up paying more for their advertising than candidates do because candidates qualify for what's called lowest unit charge, where they are given the the lowest dollar amount that an ad sells in any given time slot. So it actually can be a less efficient buy if an outside group is doing the attacking, but that may be offset by the fact that outside groups can shield candidates from negativity backlash. Now, talking about what people are are seeing and hearing on the airwaves, 
here in Connecticut, it's it's relatively sleepy compared to some other parts of the country. I'm guessing. Yes, that's right. We don't have uh, we don't have a lot of activity in part because we you know don't have those top of ticket races and the presidential race in Connecticut is obviously um, not. Uh, uh, not this isn't a central battleground. Whereas other states like Georgia, in particular, where they have two Senate races and they're seeing a fair number of Trump advertising, in particular, are getting inundated with ads. Are you seeing themes in, in terms of candidates either trying to ride the president's coattails if they're a Republican or denouncing him if they're a Democrat? Yes. I mean, we do always tend to see some of that activity, although I will say that uh, Democrats the last few cycles have have seem to intentionally be avoiding mentions of Trump if they can help it and focusing much more on healthcare related issues in particular. Of course, it's a little more um, varied this year because of the pandemic, but even references to the pandemic are sort of health related. So certainly the attention uh, on, on that is important. On the Republican side, I think Nancy Pelosi tends to be a, to the extent that there is a target, it, Nancy Pelosi does tend to be the one that uh, Republicans go after in terms of, you know, painting as the radical left that, you know, candidates support her agenda and taking over in in that way. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Erica Franklin Fowler. She is co-director of the Wesleyan Media Project at Wesleyan University in Middletown and a professor of government at Wesleyan Tell us how things have changed in terms of digital political advertising now compared to four years ago. Yeah, it's a really good question, and I wish that I had better figures for you. The truth is that because the the platforms, and by that I mean Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snapchat, uh, all made libraries available only in 2018, the summer of 2018, we actually don't have really good comparative data on on digital spending going back to the last uh, presidential cycle. So um, so we know that advertising is increasing and there certainly are, you know, aggregate estimates of the proportion of the activity that digital will comprise. We also do know that, uh, you know, candidates and um, parties and outside groups use digital advertising in somewhat of a different fashion than, than one would use television advertising. We sort of think of television advertising as being a key place where a lot of persuasion happens, that those ads are intended to, to try to reach people in the center and pull them one direction or another, whereas digital advertising has a much more varied set of goals. So digital ads might be deployed to fundraise. They might also be deployed to get people to sign up so that they can be in the loop about additional campaign updates. They can also be targeted to persuade and then there's a, an additional set which are designed to mobilize or sometimes to demobilize citizens. Do you have a sense of how restrictions that some social media platforms have recently instituted in terms of what can be said about political advertising or in political advertising might change things? Yeah, I think the the platforms, you know, are they have a very difficult job. I, I don't want to be too much of an apologist for them. I do think that the, the, you know, it would be better if we had some sort of regulation that would help them uniformly decide what is a political ad, because that, that question is actually a harder one than you might imagine. Um, but also to figure out, you know, what should be disclosed about these ads. But it, But it's definitely the case that 
platforms make very consequential decisions about what they do with their advertising. So when Twitter banned political advertising, that has one set of consequences. Uh, and namely, I think one of the key uh, reasons why banning may not be a wonderful solution is that if you think about sort of who has power, because politics are about power, uh, incumbent candidates tend to have much more name recognition and resources and, and ways to speak to citizens than challengers do. And so in a world where we you know, want to enable challengers to you know, speak their mind and reach citizens so that there is, if we, if we think of competitive races as being a relatively good thing from an accountability perspective, it's actually harder for uh, challengers to reach citizens when they can't utilize lower cost advertising sources through platforms. We hear a lot about Twitter and a lot about Facebook, but are there other spaces online where political ads exist? Yeah, absolutely. There are lots of places. And I think the the key here is that uh, campaigns are always looking to touch citizens wherever they are. So Snapchat has seen a fair amount of Biden, pro-Biden advertising in particular. We also know that uh, the Biden campaign has rolled out yard signs on the game Animal Crossing. Campaigns will be very uh, innovative in trying to figure out how they can sort of reach citizens anywhere and everywhere they can. Are there any other trends that you see emerging or or possibly emerging as we get into the the final weeks before people vote, if we look at past years for guidance? What we typically see in the last few weeks before election day is a real ramping up of advertising on television. So for those folks who are already inundated with, with television ads, this may not be a welcome comment. But I do think we should expect to see that, even though this year is really unusual in, in the sense that so many people will be voting much earlier than they typically do in a presidential year. And so there is some you know, question about whether you know everyone's trying to advertise earlier and would that maybe lead to a drop off or a decline in advertising toward election day i sort of suspect that it won't in part because campaigns don't stop fundraising and so if a dollar if you have a dollar left in your campaign uh, before election day, you're going to try to use it somewhere. And so I do think that advertising will just continue to increase and we should expect to see more. I also think we will see, for the most part, across campaigns, them turn more negative until the last second. One of the things I've noticed as you know a, a casual observer this election cycle, and maybe I just missed it in past cycles, but more candidates going right on, you know, news interview programs and everything else asking for money so they can continue advertising. Is that something that that has kind of uh, increased this cycle or has it always been there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always been there, but certainly I, I do think that it is uh, an ongoing trend. In fact, digital advertising, you know, spend on digital advertising is sometimes to fuel donations to air more television ads. So certainly there is uh, interplay in this and and we do have, you know, uh, when unlimited amounts of money can be spent in elections, that does sort of increase the pressure for, for candidates and campaigns to continually be fundraising. I know the book is certainly not closed, but when everything is said and done about the 2020 election, what do you think it will be most remembered for in terms of advertising? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I would say uh, maybe two things. I think it'll be record-breaking, given what we know about the activity in the presidential race already. Uh, But I also think that it will be looked at as an unusual race. And it's very different, I think, from the 2016 contest at the presidential level, in part because we're seeing Trump take advantage of TV in a way that he was not able to really do in the same way in 2016. He really lacked the resources to be matching Clinton's advertising purchases. Of course, the recent trends in the last few weeks may suggest that we may see a repeat of that because pro-Biden advertising is really overwhelming, uh, pro-Trump advertising. Uh, and and Biden is even you know catching up and, and outspending on digital as well. And then down ballot, we're also seeing Democrats uh, really leading in most additional places. So I think you know, if 2018 was sort of a blue wave and included a lot of pro-democratic advertising focused on healthcare, it does seem, at least at this point, that we might see a repeat of uh, pro-democratic advantages and maybe a slightly more varied list of issues to the extent that, you know, COVID has brought back economic issues to the table, but also it continues a theme of a lot of healthcare discussion. Talking about the the nuts and bolts of how these campaigns make their their ad buys, how sophisticated are their targeting technologies to really zero in on a, a particular voter? Campaigns, especially higher up on the ballot, are quite sophisticated in the way in which they think about citizens and the way in which they think about putting them into different buckets and uh, and attempting to reach them. So they think about both the sort of partisan distribution, right? If you're a strong partisan on either side of the aisle and you turn out quite frequently, you actually might not need to touch those voters really at all, uh, unless you want to help that, like encourage them to activate other people like them. But if you're thinking about, you know, that you, you would turn to persuasion towards the people that are in the center, and then you will also think about people on your side of the aisle who you believe will vote for you if they actually turn out. So for those folks, you're going to be seeking a more of a mobilization message. And, you know, campaigns have very sophisticated databases and records of how often citizens vote and who they believe these citizens support. And so that is definitely something that they use to their advantage, especially when they're targeting on places where they can take advantage of that additional information like on digital advertising. And an election year where we may not know the winners of certain races on election night or even days afterwards, do you expect to see all the political advertising cease at the end of the day on November 3rd or are things gonna linger beyond election day? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think we will see a decline of activity, but I also wouldn't expect that we would we will necessarily be at zero. We definitely know that advertising is used in a variety of different contexts outside of formal election periods. And in particular, you know, outside groups and, and other interested parties often will use ads to convince elites in Washington to do one thing or another. And I certainly think that if if the outcome is in doubt and hanging for a while, that it, it seems very reasonable to, to believe that we might see some advertising intended to speak to those audiences. And just give us an idea, as you track all of this advertising leading up to the election, is your team crazed? I mean, how many people are on your team? What are they doing to, to keep track of all these advertisements? 
Yeah, thanks for that question. We, our team has grown, uh, I don't want to say exponentially, but we have a much, much larger team here at Wesleyan than we used to. I have two co-directors, um, one at Bowdoin College and one at Washington State University, but the Wesleyan team in particular has grown from you know just me originally when we started to uh, two full-time staff and two uh, postdocs at the moment, plus a cadre of student researchers who help us both do uh, human coding uh, for television vision in particular, and then a lot of computational coding work uh, for the digital to help us analyze that. So we're very proud of having a, a, a large team. They do wonderful work, and we really couldn't do what we do without them. Uh, our, our partnership with the Q Quantitative Analysis Center here has been central to that as well, and it definitely takes sort of an all-hands-on-deck uh, approach, in part because the digital platforms all have different types of, of libraries and putting those together with the television environment is, a, is much more complicated than it might sound in part because they expose different things. And so it really does require a whole team of folks working collaboratively to do what we do. She is Dr. Erica Franklin Fowler, co-director of the Wesleyan Media Project and professor of government at Wesleyan University in Middletown. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.